God is for you. No matter what else is uh, going on, no matter what the economy tells you, no matter what uh, the excuses that you could think of right now could tell you, uh, God is for you. And if God is for you, come on. Who can be against you? Amen. Uh, we're we're going to talk a, a little bit today about my past being too bad, but as things that uh, we look at of, of things of, of people that overcame their past, I started thinking about um, a really good a really good story uh, from back in the day, back in nineteen. If we go back uh, to underdog stories, nineteen eighty. No, now some of you weren't even alive in nineteen eighty. Um, but those of us who were, remember the miracle on ice. Does anybody else remember that? The miracle on ice where the Americans, a bunch of college and, and amateur uh, hockey players, beat the Soviet Union, uh, who had won every Olympic tournament since 1954. They didn't even have a prayer. I got, the, got a video. Go ahead and, and play that. Uh, this is the final seconds. I remember watching this. I didn't even know why it was important. Olympic tournament and, and world tournament up to that point, and, and we just had a bunch of nobodies. And so the past had dictated up to that point, the Russians were supposed to win, and we were just going to maybe get the bronze medal or maybe not even place at all. The United States was not even supposed to, to do anything then. Um, but I, I want to talk about this today because our past is what's dictated What's going on now? Where you're sitting right now is based on the choices and things that we've done in our past. But let me tell you something. The past does not dictate the future. Your future hasn't been written yet, except in the mind of God. And what's going on right now, he isn't calling you based on what you've done in your past. He hasn't designed you based on what's happened in your past. He's based upon what you're deciding, uh, whether or not you're going to, uh, your future on whether you're going to follow him now. Listen, your, your past has, has nothing to do with your future. And so your past, uh, your future is wide open for you to just go for so the excuse that I want to talk to you about today uh, in being used and called by God is, my past is too bad. In Acts chapter 26 is where we're going to start at today, verse number 4. Now, if you have the Version app on your phone or on your iPad or whatever, uh, you can follow along. We have, we have the notes from the sermon there. There's a place that you can take notes in there as well. Uh, all the points that we're going to make today are in there. Uh, but Acts chapter 26, verse number 4 is where we're going to start at today. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, this is Paul talking, I was given a um, thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact... 
That is why the twelve tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accused me of having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could do to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priest. Now check this out. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Now this is a, this is a pretty checkered past that Paul is telling us about here. And he had probably one of the most checkered pasts of anyone in the Bible. Let's look at what he said here. He identified himself as a member of one of the most self-righteous and arrogant groups of religious leaders in his day. Now, we're not just talking about, you know, the person that comes to church that, that's the gossip, okay? We're not talking about the person that comes to church to stir up trouble. We're talking about the most arrogant and self-righteous set, sect of religious leaders that there was, to the point where he helped throw them in, uh, Christians in prison, and he helped kill them. They were all about themselves. This is Paul we're talking about, okay? He was totally dependent on his own abilities and was all about stopping the message of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, yeah, that's a terrible thing. That's horrible. That's a terrible kind of guy. But I want to say to you today, you may not be this bad. You may not have done anything this bad, but every story has a past. Every story has a past. I have one, you have one, some of it we're ashamed of, some of it we're very proud of. Some of it you can stand up and say, God did this for me, and I had the victory on this day, and some of the things you wouldn't tell anybody if you was on your deathbed, and you wouldn't want anybody to know about it. Everybody has a past. And it could be a a dark story of drug abuse or sexual addiction. Uh, It could be a story of loneliness and self-doubt. It could be uh, maybe a non-sketchy past. Maybe you were squeaky clean growing up. Um, But you still had those dark moments that you're embarrassed about. Your your past may have been uneventful as as far as uh, those things go. Maybe it was one full of positives. Uh, But Paul's past included murder and evil doing. No matter what it is, God can use every past that will yield itself to him. Come on, somebody, that's good right there. God can use any past that will yield itself to him. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how many people you've offended or hurt, God still wants to use you. God has still created you with a purpose. God has still given you life to be here on this earth to represent him. You cannot use your past to be the determining factor of your future. If you don't learn how to overcome your past, listen to this now, 
your past has the potential to be the lid of what God wants to do in your future. Not only what he wants to do, but what he can do. Listen, some people will sit and live in their past so, so much that God can't use them for the future. God can't even bless them in the future. Some people's pasts are so checkered and so bad that they actually have doubts of whether or not God can or will do something for them, let alone through them. There's a lot of people out there that are suffering, you know, things that are going on in their lives. They've, they've had attacks from, from the enemy or uh, bad things that have come across their path. And, and, and they're afraid to even ask God to help them because, well, why would God help me? I did this and I did that and, and I've had this go on and I've had that go on. And, and you know what? It is, a, it is a bad thing to be on the wrong side of God. We've all been there. I mean, it's not a good place to sit and know that you have something between you and him. That's not a good place to be in. That's not a place anybody loves to be. All right? But if you live in the past of what you've done, God will never be even able to bless you, to use you, to call you, to do anything for you. Why? Because if you're living in the past, you're not living in what he said in 1 Corinthians. When he said, if any man is in Christ, come on somebody, he is a new, come on, new creature. Now listen, right now, I drive a, 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 a 2011 or 12, is it 11? Is our Jeep at 11? A 2011, I think. I think it's 2011. It might be a 10. I don't know what year it is. It's a 10 or 11. Jeep. And uh, my Jeep, I bought used, which means I inherited some problems that were already there. When I first bought it, it leaked like a sieve. I mean, and, and I didn't realize how much it leaked until I got to Florida. And it rained every day in the summer. Come on, anybody else wonder what's up with that? In the summertime, you get out and it's like, well, it's two o'clock, it's time for the showers. And yep, here they come. And I never realized how many leaks my Jeep had until I got here. And then my carpet started to smell bad. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You get carpet wet and it's like, whoa. And I knew it was really bad when my six-year-old got in and was like, oh, dad, roll down the window. It's horrible in here. All right. I inherited some problems with my Jeep. But you know, when you go and you get a brand new one from the, from, the, from the car lot, and it's brand new, if there's any problems with it, come on, what happens? They're like, oh, we're so sorry about that. Come on, let me fix that for you. Come on, somebody, watch where I'm going with this. Listen, when, when you buy a brand new one, and there's something wrong, the brakes don't work right, or there's a problem with the engine, or it's making funny noises, or, and you have to go and diagnose it and tell them, listen, there's something wrong with this car. Well, what's wrong with it? Well, uh, I, I don't really know, but it makes this noise. You know what's wrong with that? And they go, they just laugh at you and be like, well, we'll hook it up to the computer and figure out what's wrong with it. And you're embarrassed about telling them what's wrong. But listen, when it's brand new, they'll fix it for you and they apologize to you. Come on. Listen, this is what happens when you get in Christ. You're not a used car. Come on, somebody. You don't have the problems that are inherited with a, with a used vehicle. You're new. 
And if there is something that's wrong, come on, you just take it right back to the manufacturer. And guess who's responsible to fix it? Come on, somebody. You're not catching this. You are not catching this. Listen, if there's something wrong with a new car, you can take it back. And if it's a Jeep, a Chrysler has to fix it. The the people that made it have to fix it. Okay? I'm not responsible to fix it anymore. I don't have to go and come up with money to fix a new car. The people who made it did. Now, my used Jeep, I have to pay for that. I have to pay for it myself, which means this. If you're living in your past in the used, come on, somebody. If you're living in the way you used to be, yeah, you have to fix everything. You're responsible for it. But come on, if anyone is in Christ, God, somebody needs to catch this. They're a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. I don't have to worry about fixing something for myself. All I got to do is believe in the man who made me. Come on, somebody. That's the God I serve. That's the God I serve. We need to learn to leverage our past. Okay? If you don't overcome your past, it has the potential to be the lid to what God can or will do through you. When we leverage our past, we need to be like Paul was here. All right? Paul turns a corner from clarifying what he did in the past to declaring his present and his future. Verse number 12 in Acts chapter 26 says this. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down, uh, shone down around on me and my companions, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Now watch what Paul says back here. Who are you, Lord? (laughs) I asked, and the Lord replied, I am Jesus the one you are persecuting. Now get on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. Your past can begin to be over with and be overcome, excuse me, when we understand that we've been living a life that isn't pleasing to God. Now, this happens immediately for Paul. There's no question what's going on here. It's boom, face to face. Hi, I'm Jesus, the one that you've been trying to, you know, you've been trying to take, care, take out my message. You've been, you've been persecuting me. Hi, nice to meet you. There's no guesswork here. There's no, I wonder if this is God trying to tell me something. <laughs> this is no, is this... Is this a sign, God? No, 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 no. This is Jesus standing there. All right, this is face-to-face encounter. All right? And what does he do? He spells it out for Paul. You, it is useless for you to go against what I'm wanting to happen here. It's useless. And at that point, Paul s- suddenly has this change. And he goes from this guy who's on his way to stop to say, well, Who are you, Lord? 
He has this change. Why? Because he realized at that moment he had been living a life that wasn't pleasing to God. Now, some of you may be sitting there saying, well, I feel like I please God. I'm pleasing to God. Listen, we have to get to the point where we understand that in and of ourselves, our own ability, we are incapable of living a life that, that pleases God. We are not, we are not built to please God. <laughs> in and of ourselves, it's impossible to do. I, I lack the ability to get up and do anything that pleases him. In fact, the Bible tells us that that's why he was, the, the Ten Commandments and the law were given to just show how bad of people we really are. <laughs> I mean, to just show you're full of flaws. You know, the, the, uh, somebody was telling me the other day that there's a, a, um, a, a, root, a root word that's, that, that we get the word Christian from that obviously means Christ-like, but it also means flawed pot or flawed container. So basically, we're a container that holds, but we leak everywhere, right? You know where else we get, you know what else this word means? Crackpot. <laughs> same, same word. We've lost our minds. <laughs> okay? So yeah, we're flawed. We are. All right? It's at that moment that we realize that, that we can actually turn the corner to start living a life that pleases God. Now, this isn't going to be in your, if you're following on Ustream or watching us online and following along, this isn't in there. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. This is bonus. This is coming fresh off the wire right here. Sometimes I do this, I'll go off my notes. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. But without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. Which means this, I, in and of myself, can't do anything that pleases God unless I do what? Seek him. Unless I do what? Believe in him. Now there's a couple things here that we have to believe. Some people read this and they say, believe that he is. Oh, yes, we've got to believe that God's real. This is not what this means. Most, I, I heard it taught that way my whole life. You just got to believe that God exists and that God's a rewarder. No, listen, the demons in hell believe God's real. How many of you know God's not pleased with them? The, Satan believes that God's real. In fact, he knows God's real. He's had conversations with God. He ain't pleased. So it isn't just that he exists, Okay. It has to be this. These words here must believe that he is. This is the same words that he quoted to Moses when, when he told Moses to go down to, to Egypt and set my people free. He said, well, who should I tell them sent me, God, Lord? And what did, what did he say to Moses? He said, you tell them that I am that I am sent me, sent you. Now, what does that mean? How does that, what does that mean? Basically, God was saying, you tell them that whatever they need to see happen or whatever they need, that's who sent you. I am whatever you need to hear sent you. Okay? If they, need to see, if they need to hear the God of the universe, then that's who I am. If I am the one who's going to pour out judgment on them, then that's who I am. If I am the God that can deliver the children of Israel out of bondage, then that's who I am. What is he saying? I am who, whatever you need. Come on, that should have made somebody a little happier than that. 
I am whatever you need. Now check this out. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying that I am, if you're going to come to me, you have to believe that I am what? Or he is what? Well, whatever you need. And here's where a lot of Christians miss it. They go and they ask God for something, asking God for the thing. But it isn't the thing we should be asking for. We should be asking for him. Why? Because, come on, watch this now. He is. He is what? The thing. (laughs) He is healing. Come on. He is prosperity. He is joy. He is. That's why it's called the fruit of the spirit. It's what he is. This is what I produce. He is. And that he is a rewarder, which means he gives. But notice, he has to say it again here. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. Come on. Him. Seek him. So what does that, what does that have to do with, with our past? Well, we have to just get over ourselves. We're just not that good. But he is. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he is. And, and if I am going to come face to face with putting my past behind me, I have to get over myself thinking, well, yes, I'm righteous. Yes, I'm good. Yes, you know, I gave extra in the offering today. And yes, I prayed today. And yes, I read my Bible today. Why are you doing all that? Because he, he told us to. <laughs> he, that's how we communicate with him. That's, I mean, listen, I'm not going to find out anything else about him unless I read this. This doesn't make me better by doing this. Like, if that, if that was the case, we could just get on one of them one-year Bible reading plans and all fi- have it figured out. You all know you can read this and it doesn't do anything for you if you ain't believing. If you're not reading this with faith as a, a letter to you and you're just mechanically reading this, it won't do anything for you. This is just like War and Peace or Gone with the Wind or anything else that you, you could read. It has to be with an activated heart of believing that he, the God that's in here, is, come on somebody, what you're looking for. He is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'm not that good, but he is. Doesn't matter if I got up and went to church that morning or not. He is what I'm looking for. All right? Paul came face to face with what he was doing wrong, and he realized even though he was a religious leader, part of the big ones, it wasn't good enough. All right? It's at that moment when we quit convincing ourselves that we can do something that God is pleased with on our own that our, no, our life no longer becomes the same. All right, when Paul had this face-to-face encounter with Jesus, some of you may be sitting there thinking about face-to-face encounters that you've had with those moments in your life where you realized this isn't going to work anymore. I was just in Naples all this, these last three days of the week. We were down there at a convention. Jody's dad does a convention down there, um, and uh, he, he does it actually in Florida and Hawaii, and, and we were down there uh, working the event. And by the way, um, this is Jody's sister and my brother-in-law, Jeff, right here on the front row. Um, they're visiting with us today. And uh, we're actually, as soon as church is over, we're actually going on family vacation now because we've worked our hind ends off all last week. So now we're going to go just kind of chill for three days. Um, 
And so, but anyway, we were down there. James and Loretta were there. Jim was there. We had a few other, uh, those three from the church. It was really good. It was our first little group from the church to go to a convention together. It was really kind of cool. Um, so, but, uh, so we're there, and one of the speakers at the convention was a guy named Danny Cahill. Now, if you don't know who Danny Cahill is, he was season eight of The Biggest Loser winner. And he set the record for the most weight loss ever and still has it, all right? Um, and is just a super great guy. And so we were sitting around talking and stuff, and he actually said, and he said it to us while we were, I was sitting there talking to him, because me and him have a lot in common. He, only he lost like 200 and some pounds. I lost 150 pounds, and so we were talking, with, you know, talking about weight loss strategies and things, and do you ever still get hungry, and do you ever wish you could go like chew the leg off of a table because you're still starving? And he was like, yes, of course. And so we were laughing and just kind of talking. And I said, what changed for you? What was your moment to change? And then he shared this when he spoke. He said, it was a conversation I had with my kids. And see, my reason for changing was my kids too, because I, I realized I was never going to get on a roller coaster with my son or any amusement park rides, and so that was my moment, okay? His moment came when his daughter came and sat down next to him on the couch and leaned over, and she said, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And he was like, oh, that's nice, and then she reached up and and rubbed his belly, and she goes, I want a belly just like this. (laughs) And it, it changed him. He said, I got up. And went in the bathroom and looked myself in the mirror and said, if she wants to be just like you when you grow up, you better become the man that she needs to be. What happened? He came face to face with his past. This is what needs to change for me. Some of you may have had conversations like that with your kids. Others of you may have got a letter from the bank telling them, you know, listen, you ain't got no money in the bank and you're bouncing checks all over the place. That may be your moment. Some of you may have broken up with a, 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 in a relationship that may have been, you know, some of you may be going through divorce or you know, maybe going through some trying times in relationships. That might be your moment. Some, one of your moments may be your dad came home early from work instead of working late and your, your past changed. Some of you college students, maybe your moment is you decide to stop sleeping in and go to class. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Everybody's moments look different. Okay. It's the moment that we make the decision, enough is enough, and the way we're living isn't working anymore. Paul had it spelled out for him, and it didn't take him but a second to realize it. I got it. Okay, I see what's going on here. Okay, You may have had a sketchy past, but the moment you have an encounter with God, you can begin to realize that your future, God has planned for you, is still out there. Amen? In the face of your encounter, God will show you your future... At that point, all right, you have to be cleansed of your past by that encounter and embrace what he wants to do with you. Now, let's go back up and read here what God said to him. He didn't stand up in front of him and say, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted, and you have been trying to kill people that I've got serving me, and you're no good, and you're low down, and now I'm going to strike you with boils and kill you, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to make your life hell for the remainder of your time here on earth, and you're just no good, and you're just a scumbag, and you're just never going to receive, and you're going to be bankrupt, and you're just, come on, he never said any of that. In the face of the turning point for Paul, look what Jesus says to him. First of all, get up on your feet. Don't, don't lay down there anymore. Get up. What's he saying? He's calling him to get up. You're not going to waller in your misery anymore. 
You're not going to waller down there like the dirt and the dogs and the worms. Get up on your feet. For I have appeared to you. Now check this. He starts spelling out his future for him immediately. To appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I'm going to show you. What's that last few words there? In the future. What's he doing? Paul's having a face-to-face encounter with his life being terrible. And in the face of that, this is what you've been doing wrong, but here's what I'm calling you to do. Here is what I'm calling, calling you to do. Jesus did not put the weight of what Paul had been doing back on him. He immediately called him to get up and look at what he wanted Paul to do. What condemning weight are you carrying around with you today? What is it that you're holding on to from your past that's keeping you from going to the next step with God? Because I'm just going to tell you right now, you can sit and and, and list the excuses about where God wants to take you and go, God, I can't get there because I did this. Listen to me, you've missed the whole point. There are things in your past that are splinters in your mind, to quote Morpheus from The Matrix. It's a splinter in your mind. And you're just like, I can't do that because. I can't do that because. I can't do that because. Listen to me, those things don't matter anymore. In the face of what you've done wrong, Jesus calls you, come on somebody, to a better place, to a higher place, to a servanthood place where he can use you. And how many of you know when you start walking in what he wants to use you doing that the blessings, come on somebody, overtake you. This is why Matthew says in Matthew chapter 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Oh, but, I, but I've done this and I've done that. Listen to me. This is bonus. Right? Remember when Jesus called the, the disciples for the first time? He met Peter and those guys on the shore. And they, and, and, and they, walk, they walk up to him and, and they introduce him to, to, to uh, G, uh, Peter. And Jesus looks at him, and these are the exact words. He says, you are Simon, but you shall be Peter. He, he recognized where he was and called him to where he wanted him to be. You are Simon, you shall be called Peter. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been living. I don't care how you've been doing it. I don't care what you've been suffering with i don't care what you've been addicted to i don't care what what mistakes you've made you are called when you uh, you know when you silence those voices they eventually grow quieter and quieter and quieter till eventually they stop steering your life i, I wish i could tell you that they eventually quit talking they'll never quit talking but they only steer your life to the point you are willing to listen to them. And if you'll quiet them and tell them to shut up and start listening to the voice of the Spirit on the inside of you, they eventually stop steering you. The darkness and the pain of your past actually become the platform in which you do what God has called you to do. 
Paul stands in front of the king, and what does he do for the king? Does he, you know, offer crown polishing services? No. Does he offer financial advice? No. He doesn't do, go and do, become something else. What does he do? He stands in front of the king and does what? Tells him his painful past. His past that was so horrible became the platform God used to use him later. Some of the things that you've been so embarrassed about are the very things God wants to use you with to help somebody else. Paul is actually doing what called him, God called him to do by recalling his pain and darkness of his past. While talking about his past, Paul accomplished his future. God has called you God wants to bless you, not based on your past. He's called you based on the future that he's created for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, thank you for our time together today.